At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we can. Government is the problem. Welcome, everybody, to a liberal and a conservative walk into a bar. My name is Matt, and I'm a liberal. My name's Tim. I'm a conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Check us out on Twitter. I'm at LibConMatt. Tim is at LibConTim. Check out our website. It's LibCon.Podbean.com. We're in the iTunes store. We're in the Google store. We're on Stitcher. Buy Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Want. Uh, tonight, we're going to give you a quick rundown of some of the fun, newsy things this week. Trump had his big shake up where he basically hired all of Breitbart to come run his campaign. Cause it's going to be fun. Uh, and then sure. we're going to talk a little policy. We've got, uh, we've had major speeches now from both candidates on, uh, uh, the economy and, uh, foreign policy. So we're going to talk about both of them, uh, and just give you the rundown on all of it. Uh, and we, we will do our best to be serious when we, we, when we talk about Mr. M- Mr. Orange, orange facey pants. So, uh, yeah. Good start. Uh, right. Yeah, I think so. I'm, it's, I had to get a little something in there. It's okay. It's like the, it's like the turd tornado. And I know you didn't hear about the turd tornado thing, but we're, we're going to get to that later. That's, that's, that's fun. Um, but before we get to all that in the election, things, there are just a couple of things out of the news today. So we're actually going to go in reverse and, and do uh, some we haven't done any quick hits in a while so we're gonna we're gonna do some some quick newsy things uh, obviously we've uh, every the floods in Louisiana they're they're all over the place thoughts out to everybody down there um, you know just really some horrible stuff they're saying now that this is the worst uh, the worst natural disaster since uh, Superstorm Sandy four years ago um, uh, uh, tens of thousands of people displaced and just uh, billions of I think in the uh, at least hundreds of millions of dollars in damage Um the interesting thing that came out today, there was an op-ed in a Louisiana paper uh, chastising President Obama for A, not visiting, and B, staying on vacation. Um, now, I am largely, I, I, I get very annoyed with the opposition, because this has been going on again my entire life, the, the opposition party chastises the president for going on vacation and playing golf. The, uh, they did it to Clinton when Clinton was in the White House. The Democrats did it to Bush when Bush was in the White House. And now the Republicans are doing it to Obama, that Obama's in the White House. And, oh, you know, vacations in posh places and it's terrible and please, whatever. But they did make the point that Bush's visit during Katrina was largely largely criticized. But Bush left his vacation uh, to go visit New Orleans. Now, granted, to screw it up, but he did leave. Uh, they are calling on Obama to do the same thing. Do they have a point? Well, I mean, I'm I'm not going to hate on Obama for for doing his vacation and given the way that the world is, the way the world works now, it's not as if he can't do everything that a president can do from his vacation, right? It's not cuz presidents never really go on vacation, let's be honest. It's not like he suddenly stops having to make decisions and suddenly stops getting briefings and is incapable of communicating to the to the country what his desires are and what needs to be done. That said, maybe it would have been a nice symbolic gesture if he had left his vacation. Yeah, some of this is about optics, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But but I think that there are some things optically that this administration has gone a little tone deaf on, and they're missing the point to some of it. Uh, and I think you're right. I think that this is largely about optics. But at the same time, I do think this vacation criticized the golf is, is crap because I do want to make a point. They They... 
They made a big deal when Obama played like his 300th round of golf since entering office. Uh, and it was huge, massive. Again, Republicans all went crazy. The man's been in office for eight years. Okay. He's a shitty golfer. He admits he's a shitty golfer. He's also not even a weekend golfer. If you break that down, he's played less than one round of golf per week since he entered office. Most people who are weekend golfers play once a week. It's, it's a pretty normal thing. And to take four or five hours out of your day, out of your week, to go take a break and hit the golf course when you're the president, I'm going to give you that. You can have that. That's fine. If he was playing two, three, four times a week, yeah, that's a problem. But, you know, once a week, whatever. Go, go, go play some golf and, you know, take a break from all your worries. Uh, the yeah, Clinton it's Foundation. a hobby. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, they're not allowed to have hobbies? I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, the Clinton Foundation today said that once, if Hillary Clinton is elected, the foundation will only accept domestic donations and small dollar donations. They will not accept corporate donations or foreign donations. Again, with the optics, it's a cute, it, it's good that they're saying that now she should have done it when she became secretary of state. Right. I mean, maybe like, I don't know. The Clinton foundation is a charitable organization that has done good things in the world. And I mean, I guess there is potential for, um, I guess bribery is what they're concerned about. They, they say if you donate X number of dollars to our foundation, we'll do this or that for you. But it's not like they're asking for X number of dollars to be put into their pocket. They're asking for money to be put into their charitable organization that then does good things. So yes, this would be bad if they were straight up asking people to do this, but I just, I'm, I'm not convinced that it, creates this massive uh, conflict of interest. So sure, if you're elected president, tone it down a little, I guess. But I, I, I think you're right that this is primarily a matter of optics and isn't something that we should be getting too worked up about. Yeah, it's it, it's a black box. It's, an, it's, it's like all of these things that the Republicans try to put out there. They've had more, you know, you had the one uh, like last week where they had the woman who was working for who had done work for the foundation, went to work in the state department, was leaving the state department and then went to like sit in on a job interview for somebody who was going to be a big muckety muck in the foundation and then took off. She wasn't paid by the foundation to do the, to be sit in on the interview. She didn't really offer much more than advice. And it's something she did on her own time on her own dime. So who cares? What, why is it? It's it's largely this black hole that Republicans have tried to create around the Clintons and around the foundation to say that, well, they must be doing something wrong. Why? Again, for the most part, you're right. The Clinton Foundation was has been widely praised right up until she coincidentally started running for president uh, or rather entered the state's office. She entered the State Department, achieved Colin Powell style Mother Teresa kind of ratings, and then Republicans went, oh, crap, we got to dig up all the dirt we can. And that was when a lot of the indignation about the Clinton Foundation started to me. Yeah, I think that's true, uh, because it is a little ridiculous how quickly we've tried to turn around and change our thoughts and feelings on Hillary Clinton, considering when she was a secretary of state and even when she was a senator, she was widely being praised from both sides of the aisle. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Well, but I mean, you have to admit that whether you think it's disgusting or not, I happen to think it's disgusting. It's worked. 
you know, because now she has these massively unfavorable ratings. So, um, it's a little tough to, to argue with that. Um, the, uh, the Iran thing today, the, the, the administration quietly said that the money exchange was leverage. Now it wasn't ransom, but there was a connection between the delivery of the money and the release of the prisoners. But they're still saying it wasn't ransom. They're saying it was, and I quote, leverage. Again, with the optics. I, I, I don't know that this is a big deal, and I do understand that the, the background of it, that we owed them this money anyway. And, but then when they come out and admit that the they weren't going to allow the plane to take off with the money until they knew that the prisoners were on the ground or that their prisoners had been released. It does look like ransom. I'm sorry. It does. You can call it leverage. You can call it ransom, whatever you want. But again, optically, I think it looks bad. I, I don't know. I guess, I guess it does. I, I guess optically it does look bad, but I feel like this is exactly what we said it obviously was when we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago that there was a large deal going on with Iran and naturally all aspects of this would be a part of that deal. Um, so I guess the, the only real issue is that the administration had tried to make such a point out of how it was separate, that these were two separate things. When anyone with half a brain would look at it and go, well, no, probably not, since it's the same two countries. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as ransom. I don't see it as ransom. I see it as one massive deal that entailed us releasing some of their people, them releasing some of ours, in addition to paying back funds that we owed them, in addition to all of the other nuclear things. That's not ransom. That's a that's a deal. That's a deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, have you seen the picture of this Syrian kid? The little four year four year old little boy after he got pulled out of the rubble? I have uh, not. You you should you should look that picture up. That picture may it, uh, other than the kid on the beach, that kid is going to become the face of the Syrian refugee crisis. And he he looked to me it, it's scary to me because he's only about three or four and he has this lost sort of look on his face and he's covered in dirt and he's got blood on his face and he's rubbing at the blood and trying to get it off and uh it is a horrifying horrifying picture of what's going on over there and i saw some idiot uh out of the republican caucus in the house saying you know, this is this is why we need new leadership. You can't wait for the Obama administration to help. You can't count on them to do anything about this. And I'm going, really? After everything Trump said, you really think you can count on him to help that kid? My ass. It, it's pathetic. So, but you haven't seen the picture, so you need to go look up the picture. Well, now, in fairness to the Trump administration, Trump has laid out campaign, that- not an administration. Trump, sorry, the Trump campaign has made points that I think are legitimate. One is, and he talks about this in his foreign policy speech, the fact that there are countries that have um, connections to terrorism that, and that there may be issues with people coming in uh, from those countries because it is 
really hard to screen people accurately. It just is. Uh, and is there a way that we can help without necessarily bringing those people over here? Uh, as much as I love Angela Merkel and applaud her for everything that she did uh, to try and help the refugees, to an extent, a lot of the struggles that Germany has had um, can kind of point to, well, maybe there are better ways to do this. Um, with Trump's semi-half, not really half-baked, it's just the way he says it that makes it sound stupid, this idea of, I'll build them a big, beautiful city. Well, okay, maybe we don't need to build a big, beautiful city, but creating, as, as Bush talked about, safe zones in these countries that, that we can allow them to go into or helping Jordan uh, to be able to handle more refugees. You know, are, are there options like that out there that maybe aren't being explored as much as they should be by this administration? Well, I mean, maybe, but I mean, it, his statement of let's build them, because I remember that, and let's build them, a, I'll build them a big, beautiful city, runs in direct contrast to everything we're going to talk about in the speech we're going to talk about later, where he talks about getting away from nation building. Well, I know I don't think that I don't know. I'll disagree with that. I, I don't I don't think that creating a, a safe zone for refugees is nation building. I, I think it's saying, okay, look, you guys need to get your crap together, and until you do, we're going to create a safe spot for refugees. Whether that's in the actual Syrian country itself or whether that's because we're dumping manpower and resources into Jordan. I, I don't think that's nation building. I think that's helping. Fair enough. Um, Gawker Media, the website gawker.com is shutting down next week. Have you heard about, you know what Gawker is? Yeah, they got, went bankrupt over Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah, because, and this was all basically bankrolled by Peter Thiel, the, uh, gentleman who came out as the great bastion of the LGBT community for Donald Trump. Um, this, this kind of, did this freak you out at all? This idea that a, a billionaire can basically say, I don't like this media company, so I'm going to find a way through back channels to have them sued and shut down. Not to necessarily defend what Gawker did, because I, I, there are a lot of things Gawker's done over the years that I don't agree with. Thank, but thank God, Lifehacker is not part of this, and Lifehacker will stay. Life <laughs> thank Hacker, goodness. Life How would Hacker, we survive? Well, I'm sorry. Lifehacker is everything that is good and pure about the internet. <laughs> Their parent company, Gawker, maybe not so much. <laughs> but I don't know. That just that that whole thing freaked freaked me out. Does it? Does it? Does it? Does it freak you out at all? Yeah, I mean, the idea that someone can you know, completely overturn a court, another company or completely ruin the lives of millions of people by just throwing money at a, throwing money at something is naturally disturbing. You know, it's someone just because they have billions of their own dollars could run for president and scaremonger throughout our country. Um, yeah, that's disturbing. Yeah, but that would never happen. That would never happen. <laughs> Ah, speaking of which, speaking of the Donald, he had his he had his big shakeup, but we're not allowed to call it a shakeup. It's a reshuffling. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we're all fine here. How are you? <laughs> How are you? <laughs> uh, it's it's nerve wracking to me because by hiring somebody, uh, that somebody like uh the Bannon guy 
who is effectively running Breitbart. Breitbart is not quite InfoWars, but they're pretty damn close. It would be to me a little bit like hiring a, a like a like if Hillary Clinton decided she wanted Julian Assange to run her to run her campaign. You know, he's hired a guy who has no experience in 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 running a political campaign, but does have experience in running what is effectively a smear website uh, for the alt right. And to me, it's basically that he's you know he's he's ready to he's ready to burn down the village with everybody locked in their houses. You know, and I mean, if, if you thought it was bad before, it's probably going to get a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't like Breitbart, so I don't certainly don't like the idea of them running our the campaign for the Republican nominee. Um, and it certainly demonstrates that he has no desire to switch tones or adjust his. Um, I can't even think of the word adjust the appearance of how he's doing things. I, yeah, it's, it's a disturbing decision and a sequence of disturbing decisions by Donald Trump. I, yeah. I, I just, I don't buy it. He's given, he gave another speech tonight that was largely off a teleprompter. Uh, that's two in a row. A lot of people in the media were giving him like pat, pats on the back and going, yay, he did it. And his people were like, you know what? Ooh, we put on his big boy pants. That's four whole teleprompter speeches he's given. They're so good. Because teleprompters are good now. They're good when Donald uses them. But they're bad when Obama uses them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I, 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 I don't buy it. It worries me. It The, the thing that bothers me about the uh, people that run websites like Breitbart and Infowars and, and honestly what has bothered me mostly about Donald Trump and the kind of campaign that he's been running is that these are not people that understand the concept of they don't know how how to deal with people who disagree with them because they they don't see people as as people who don't think like they do as people who they have disagreements with. They see them as people who are ideologically incorrect and they're incorrect because they're either crazy or because they've been brainwashed by the left. And that's why they don't agree with them. So either way, they're the enemy. And ultimately that's what worries me the most. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but yeah, I want to see arguments based on fact and disagreements over policies and acceptance that, you know, maybe someone disagrees with me, even though we have all the same facts and they just happen to think that there's a different way of doing things and agree. Breitbart is not the ideal website for that type of thinking. So, but, but I, I can't be shocked by Trump's decision. This is hardly surprising. I mean... You know, next thing you know, he'll be getting advice on debates from Roger Ailes. Oh, wait, he already oh, is. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, so yeah. forgive me for not getting too worked up about this. It's impossible almost at this point for me to get worked up about any crazy thing that Trump does. Yeah, and I try not to. I, but, but something about, but this week I've, I've, I've largely failed over the last three days. Uh, hiring this dude really bothered me. And, and you know, the polls have tightened just a hair, maybe a point or two, but still for the most part, uh, you know, she's still, the 538 still has her at worst at 78%, and that's in the long-term forecast or current forecast are more like 90. So, you know, and I don't know. I'm not... It's like I said last week. I think I said I was going to try to not let this bother me, but it's bothering me. 
Well, it'll be over in four months. I know. Not fast enough. Anyhow. Uh, all right. Time for policies. Speaking of which, uh, as we said, we now have two major speeches from each candidate, one on the economy, one on foreign policy. We're going to talk about both from each side. We'll start off with the economy and we'll start off with the Donald. Why not? Uh, my overall feeling initially on, on Trump's was I was sort of reading the start of it and, and it was all sort of blah, 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 screw regulations, blah, blah, screw taxes, blah, blah, screw trade, blah, blah, screw Clinton. But then I got into it and I, I got to admit that there were a lot of, there were a lot of very specific details about exactly where he wants his numbers to be and, and what he wants to do. And, and I, I mean, at times there were, there were minutes, moments where I was sort of impressed with the level of detail that was in there. But then there were other times where it was just like, well, I've, I've read all of this before. There's still nothing he talks about, you know, oh, oh I'm going to bring all the jobs back and it's all going to be great and yada, yada, yada and everything. All, everything that the media is saying about Obama is wrong. Um, and uh, the most tell, one of the one of the, the the two most telling statements that I read one, he said, we are in a competition for the world and I want to make sure that America wins. And two, Americanism, not globalism, will be our credo. Largely, I will say that if he wanted to give a speech that was completely different, from, from in tone, at least, to a lot of the speeches that I've read over the years about the state of the American economy and how we approach the modern economy, this was different. I'll give it that. It's not different. It's isolationism. I mean, it's, it's isolationism, plain and simple. Now, at the end of his speech, he did give a, a little throw out to the importance of free trade. And he said, you know, this is not isolationism. Oh, but uh, I'm, that was that was a lot. Yeah, that, was that, that was a sop to us moderate uh, conservative financial Republicans. But it but I don't I don't buy it. You can't sit there and rant against free trade. Uh, and then at the very end, be like, no, but no, we're not talking isolationism. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, you are. Uh, and it's, um, and I wasn't really particularly impressed by his numbers because I don't believe most of his numbers, you know, because he has had such a reputation for, for lying. Um, so I, I wasn't impressed by all of the massive amounts of numbers that he threw out there. Uh, I wasn't impressed by his constant ranting against Obama and against Hillary. Um, I, I don't think that he addressed the, a lot of the major issues. And I think he, he missed uh, completely where we're at as a country with a lot of his, his tax cuts and, and plans like getting rid of the death tax. Really? We have income, we have massive income inequality. And so you're going to then in order to combat this inequality, make it easier for wealthy families to pass on their wealth to their heirs so that they can create more wealth and more income inequality. Because that's that the only people that the death tax is helping are the rich. Because the poor, their income, their retirement is coming from Social Security and pension plans that the money isn't theirs to pass on. So the only people he's helping out are the super rich by getting rid of the death tax. Um, you might want to just back down a little. You're starting to sound like a Democrat. No, because I'm ranting against social security and pension uh, funds in right. that same breath. So, <laughs> you know, uh, 
But also, you know, but also when we talk about wanting to help out the middle class, we want to talk about helping out the poor and we talk about tax simplification, right? And, and adjusting tax brackets. Well, all they're talking about, about is income tax and the majority of, of poor. I mean, the median wage in America is $50,000. People who are making $50,000 or less are paying next to nothing in income tax already. So making little tweaks and adjustments to the income tax doesn't do shit for anybody. If you want to talk about helping the poor and helping the middle class, then talk to me about payroll taxes. Talk to me about how you're going to cut payroll taxes. Then sure, this will make a lot of sense to me. Um, and don't talk to me about helping parents by allowing them to deduct the, the cost of childcare. Well, that was, who such, are, that was such a throw. Can I just say that was, that was such a throwaway thing chucked in there that you have no way of actually, am I, am I right in saying that there's no way of actually managing that? How do you even, how do you even begin to say this is a childcare cost and this isn't, or, I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. I, that, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but that really pissed me off. Okay. Well, that's already done at this point. Like, I mean, they do, you do get a nice tax deduction uh, on the cost of your childcare. You get some, but what the problem is, is that all you're getting is a deduction, right? So you're, if you don't put that much money in, if you don't pay that much money in taxes anyway, then that tax deduction doesn't really help you out that much. What we need are tax credits. That's the thing that will help the poor and help single moms to manage the cost of their childcare. If we did it in the form of tax credits, the form of tax deductions doesn't really do that much form. Again, that only really helps the rich who are paying out all this money in childcare and all this money in taxes so that then they can get these massive deductions. Right. And that's a, that's a problem that I've always seen that I've noticed with a lot of, uh, and it's not necessarily, re- but it is a little bit relegated to Republicans more so because Republicans usually talk about deductions. They want to increase all these different deductions. And I have never once, every time a Republican politician starts talking about all these deductions they want to throw out, none of them ever apply to me and they never make any difference. I didn't actually, st- I had to buy a house before I started noticing a difference in my tax deductions. And that only coupled with what I deduct based on my student loan interest. So none of this even begins to balance out my student loan debt. The interest that I was able to deduct on that made almost no difference on my uh, taxes until I bought a house and then I bought a house and then everything, I got a little bit more back, but it, it took that investment coupled with going into debt over my education to really make a difference. And I, I remember at one point I, I had a legitimate expense that I tried to deduct for business. It was some computer stuff that I bought for business. And I immediately got that notice back going, well, you made these deductions, but it's still lower than the standard deduction. So there's nothing you can do. And this to me is just a fundamental sign of people who have money and have no concept that the standard deduction even exists. Mm-hmm. So they don't pay any attention to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, like my wife makes a big deal out of saving these little deductions from the Salvation Army or whatever when she donates clothing or something. And it, I just don't have the heart to tell her that it, it doesn't make any difference for us. We, we don't make enough money to get anywhere near the the tax deduction rate. You know, we that 5200 I think, which is the standard deduction. Um, yeah, and so again, it, 
just completely misses the mark on things that will actually help Americans. Uh, and he talks about, you know, NAFTA and, and TPP, which Hillary Clinton did less of, but she also was hating on the TPP some. And the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, the manufacturing share of employment has fallen mostly because of technology, not because of trade. It's almost exactly where it would be if you just extrapolated based on the trend from 1946 to 1980. It's almost exactly where you would have, where, where it would have been. Um, so even if you, you shred all of these deals, these manufacturing jobs just aren't going to suddenly appear. Um, and the, these higher tariffs that he's talking about, this isn't, again, this isn't going to make manufacturing jobs appear, but what this will do is destroy American purchasing power because suddenly ever, all of our goods will cost more, but we won't be making any more money. And so we'll be that much poorer. And who's this really going to hurt? Again, this is really going to hurt the poor and the middle class. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, I, you know, I, I, I do want to point. I, I wanted. I want to make it clear that when I when I said that it was different, or that there were some things where he was detailed with his numbers, I didn't say that one any of those numbers were good because I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. And two, I, I just just because it's different doesn't mean it's good. It, it's different <laughs> because I've never really. I've never really read. And the reason I say it's different is that I, I got done with it. And I was like, you know what? I've never really read a speech quite like that. And one of the reasons that I I can say that is that I've never really. I have not seen. An American politician openly embrace isolationism as the nominee of a major party as a third party offshoot nominee. Sure, but not as a Republican or Democrat. I mean, this was a full on embrace of Americanism. He said he said so. It's isolationism. He calls it Americanism, but it's isolationism. And and, and it was it's it was different. It's certainly not something I've ever seen or really even expected to see. And it is largely crap because and we've covered a lot of my feelings on why we don't have jobs anymore. And, uh, you know, it's like you said, with the, the rise in the changes in manufacturing and technology, it changed where the jobs were. We missed that boat and now we got to fix it. And the way to fix it is not to give the finger to China and to give the finger to the rest of the world and NATO and cut every cut us off from everybody and to backtrack on NAFTA and all this other crap. That's that again is still completely missing the point. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's looking in the wrong places, uh, and a lot of the stuff that he had on there was 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 when it did come to the numbers that were in there because he did have, he did put forth some specific numbers, but they're numbers that I've heard over and over and over again. This this is how I'm going to reform the tax code. I'm going to do this tax bracket, this tax bracket, and this tax bracket. We're going to cut out all this other stuff. Do you have any idea how many times I've heard somebody say that? Every time there's an election, there's some politician who goes, don't worry, this is how the new income tax is going to work. We're, we won't have the IRS when I'm president. You'll have a card and you'll do this. And there's only going to be three brackets instead of seven or four brackets. or there's going to be two and a half and there'll be one that's at zero and everything will be great. None of this ever happens. He said he wants to go down from seven brackets to three. He wants to go to 12, 25 and 33. Actually, he said three when there's actually four because he wants a zero in there. And he said that most of us will pay zero tax. I don't buy that because that zero line is for people making effectively like minimum wage or below the poverty. poverty. Who already pay zero. Who already pay zero. So they don't see anything and it doesn't help them. It doesn't do mm-hmm. anything. The bit he, he did mention dropping the business. He didn't call it a corporate tax. He called it a business tax. He wants to drop that down to 15%, which takes us from being one of the top people to one of the bottom people. The average around the world is 25%. Now I will fight for that 
with all my heart and with all my soul and Down completely 15, agree. Long? Yes. Stop taxing okay. businesses. Stop taxing the people who are making jobs and getting people to work. You want to tax something, tax their income, tax their personal incomes. Sure. If dropping our brackets from seven to three, if all that's really doing is lowering the percentage for the upper echelon, no good. Let's let's tax people's incomes. Fine. Don't tax businesses. They're creating jobs. They're helping us out. I, I hate I hate the idea of getting any wisdom from a meme. But there was there was a meme that said if in if cigarette taxes were meant to cut back on smoking, what are employment taxes supposed to do? Trump can has cheeseburger. <laughs> this is a, if don't tax something that's that that's so beneficial to our country. Cut it out, and certainly don't tax it at a higher rate than the rest of the rich world. Yeah, look, I, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, people are so critical about businesses shuffling all their money overseas. Well, there's a reason they do that. Right. And, you know, and, and this is this is one of the reasons. And I, I'm largely in agreement with you on it. I, yeah. I don't think that that's a there are different things to what we do that are legitimately blowjobs of the super rich like the death tax and, and this talk of eliminating it and all this other stuff. But then there's other things that actually do make some sense in trying to get businesses to keep their operations here. Um, and that, that to me is one of them, the payroll tax thing that you talk about. I've told the story about how I basically lost a raise because the payroll tax holiday ended. You know, yeah. if you want to really make an effect on my paycheck, get rid of that payroll tax. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Let's That'll, talk about that. And I yeah, will be all for it and I will be thrilled and it will not cost us near as much money as this idea of cutting the taxes uh, for the super wealthy. Let's, yeah. yeah. Now there uh-huh. were there there was one thing with, that he said that I did agree with, and, and Clinton, I'm sorry, but Clinton does a better job of it. He he touched on the idea of enforcing intellectual property rules. Yes, our trade deals have rules in them uh, in order to in order to protect. Uh, American jobs and American intellectual property. So let we, let's just start enforcing those rules. Uh, and and Trump has a couple of throwaway lines on it. Clinton does a much better job. She had uh, this idea of a, a chief trade attorney. I think that's what she called it, uh, who would be actively investigating and looking for places where countries are not keeping up their end of the bargain. Fantastic. Let's do that. I'm all for this. Uh, but this idea of tearing up deals and getting rid of them uh, is ridiculous. No, and that's not going to help anything in that because you're talking about a lot of the, a lot of this intellectual property stuff. You're talking about pirate industries that already exist with the trade trade deals in place. You think cutting up the trade deal trade deals is going to stop uh, is going to stop piracy on intellectual property? Give me a break. Yeah, exactly. The moment the we just completely mean? walk away from the table, this this isn't helping anybody. This isn't doing anything for us. Now I, I know that he he's always going to come back to this idea that. You have to you have to be willing to walk away. You have to be you have to be willing to. Uh, but I I, I I disagree with his bluster. I, I don't think it I don't think it's doing anybody any good. Well, it's largely bluster. That's why you because you see through it. So, uh, you know, I mean, the rest of it. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you about the uh, about the 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 language that this is all Obama and Clinton's fault. First of all, tying Clinton directly to economic policy right now is just stupid. 
The woman worked for the State Department, for heaven's sake. She didn't have anything to do with the economic policy, so that's one thing. Just kick all that out. And two, this is to, to put all of this at Obama's feet is to completely ignore just how bad it was in 2008-2009. And that... Like the increase in, yeah, we have more people that are on food stamps now, but most of that is because we still we still have people that are rec- still still recovering from the recession. No, mm-hmm. the growth hasn't been as quick as it could have been, but growth coming out of the Great Depression was not great. It was incremental, and then I mean it kind of blew up largely. Well, we had a war, you know. Yeah, yeah, and well, we didn't have World War II to pull us out of this one, Don. Sorry, but you know it didn't happen. So. Uh, you know, that, that, that is disingenuous. The, the number of the fact that we have fewer people in the workforce, you have one of the largest generations in America, the largest generation in American history in the baby boomers retiring. So they're exiting the workforce. So yes, we have fewer people in the workforce. Duh. Uh, you know, it's just largely sort of common sense numbers that don't, you know, it's all, I don't know, you know, and then a lot of it was just, don't worry, I'll fix it. And, a chicken in every pot and a cap in every ass and it I don't know I don't I don't know whatever it's ignoring the fact that our economy our economy is not doing badly we have one of the strongest no. economies in the rich world right now we're doing well uh it, is there room for some improvement sure but it's not doom and gloom no it just isn't yeah so I I don't know. So all right, well that, that's enough, Donald, for now. What, so okay, let's let's move on to move on to Clinton. I I was I was not again. I want to reiterate. I was not impressed with with Trump's speech. I was a little intrigued by Trump's speech. Just again, because I'm usually intrigued by the amount of crazy that I see and and stuff. Clinton's I I I Clinton is usually a very detailed human being. I thought that this speech. This is this, now we're talking about uh, and and I I just. I kind of felt like this one was lacking a little bit in details. It was a lot like the Democratic platform. But it does highlight a lot of the differences between the two parties. Again, we had Trump talking a lot about deductions. Clinton talks a lot about credits. There's the profit sharing credit, the child care credit that she added. Um, She wants to keep the estate tax. And, of course, there's the usual lines about uh, expanding taxes on multimillionaires, equal pay, which is I'm not blowing off equal pay for is, is a good thing. Uh, and then raising the minimum wage. Um, I don't know. There were parts of this speech where I just sort of felt like, well, yeah, I've heard all this before. I, I, I don't know that there was really a whole lot new here. What, how, did, how did you feel about it? Well, there may not have been a whole lot new because Clinton has been pretty detailed from the beginning. Uh, she's been heavy on actual policy. So while these things may not sound new, it doesn't take away from the fact that, no, I think that she is outlaying uh, fairly specific ways of uh, addressing our economic issues. And, uh, you know, I liked liked her line that she said about uh, we'll work with both parties to pass the biggest biggest investment in new good-paying jobs since World War II uh, in the form of infrastructure. You know, Trump hit on infrastructure a little bit, but he didn't go into specifics. He didn't really go into any details now. The way that that Clinton does. Um, And that's one area that you really can look at our country and say, okay, our economy is doing fairly well. Um, What is some way that we could really jumpstart our economy? Infrastructure. One, in the form of jobs that this creates. And two, in the fact that this makes our country a more appealing place to do business. Uh, you want to talk about manufacturing, you want to talk about trade. Well, you have to have a good infrastructure 
for these things. And while we certainly have a better infrastructure than a lot of other countries out there, it could be a heck of a lot better. And I was happy to see her putting such an emphasis on it. Well, and it also, you know, this is like we, we've talked a lot about how people loved it. And usually they're Trump voters, uh, usually older, that are saying, well, you know, this is not the country. This is not my America. This is not the country I grew up in. And Donald Trump wants to take us back to the good old days when there were no unions and there was no government spending money on things. Well, one of the reasons why we had a strong economy back in the 50s was, one, it was post-war, uh, and two, I, we were doing things like investing in infrastructure, for example, building the interstate highway system. Yeah, government spent a ton of money on all that. And created a whole truckload of jobs doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, when, and there were strong unions who, I'll admit, eventually overplayed their hand. They did. But, you know, I mean, this, this was at least a part of, of why we had, you know, really good, solid manufacturing bases and salaries. Um, some of it had to do, I, I th- at least I think, with union representation. I know you probably don't feel that way, but uh, I do. And Clinton mentioned strengthening unions, and 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 I did like some of that talk. I I one of the things that Trump mentioned again, but he never has any plans for it. Was he mentioned that there were he he he's gonna he just he'll just come out and say I'm gonna put all our coal workers back to work. Doing what? Yeah, just like that, huh? Well, yeah, he just says like you're putting them all back to work. And well, he says that he's going to cut all of the the restrictions and regulations on the Amer- forms, American energy. Well, what uh, what all forms of American energy was how what? it said. lift all restrictions on all forms of energy, like we haven't been doing that with fracking. Well, I mean, I guess agreed that fracking, yeah, fracking is one instance where uh, you've seen an industry grow and 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 move forward. Uh, but I, for one, don't necessarily want to see. Uh, a complete relaxing and all restrictions on, say, the coal industry. Oh, God, know? no, neither do I. There are, while, while I, I, I hate the loss of jobs that this has, le- has led to, the proper response to this is not to suddenly get rid of all these restrictions. Coal is a dirty source of power, and we don't want to go back to the pollution levels that that caused. Uh, it's It's... It's right. like it's like when you're blasting the loss of manufacturing jobs. Uh, if you suddenly said, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of all of this automation," well, that's that does it doesn't work like that. It, when you see progress and you see us moving forward, you have to find ways to take care of the people who get displaced by automation. You have to find ways to take care of the coal miners and their families who were displaced because of the sudden loss of coal jobs. Not which both which both suddenly, Clinton yeah, which both Clinton and Obama have addressed directly or at least attempted to and Clinton is trying to continue to do that by saying not this this throwaway line and we're going to put our coal workers back to work. She has a detailed plan for how to reinvest in the area in, mm-hmm. in Appalachia to try to not bring back coal jobs, but push that area into uh, a new, you know, a, a new, uh, new industries. Yeah. And um, infrastructure and broadband sounds like a great way to do it. So good for her. Yeah. So, um, one thing that came up during Trump's speech was what he mentioned eliminating uh, carried interest, which is not a term I was familiar with. I didn't have a chance to look it up. Are you familiar with that? Not well enough to go into it. 
Fair enough. Moving on. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. If there's a whole lot more to say about Hillary's speech because again, a lot of it's been out there. She has been fairly detailed on the whole. If, if you, ha- if you had to look at, because you, you sound to me like somebody who is very much that, that you liked a lot of what Clinton has had to say, not all of it, but a, a lot of it. If you took Clinton's platform and compared it to a standard Republican platform, say Mitt Romney, 2012, do you which would you prefer? Because right now you've got crazy, not really Republican. If you had actual Republican running, which of the two would you would you prefer? I, I would. De- I mean, I would definitely would prefer Clinton's because I think that she, while uh, she obviously had some uh, not even anti-trade things, you know, she she did talk a little smack against the TPP, which I didn't like. Uh, but she's much more open to the world and the global economy. And I think that's one of the primary things that's going to help us succeed. Um, now that said, cutting the corporate tax is huge. That is huge for me. I, I think that is extraordinarily important. And I didn't see that from her. Um, no, you didn't. And you so didn't that, see anything about this, about the payroll tax. Like both of us think is, is a yeah. pretty big thing yeah so i i like that her overall tone is more open to free trade and so that naturally makes me like hers a little bit more she even did have some um lines about cutting red tape at every level um and and so that's good but not addressing the corporate tax thing that's that's a big issue for me uh and trump also had a very good thing when he talked about allowing companies to bring all of their money back from overseas at a small 10% tax, uh, which I also thought was very good. So uh, there's at least a couple of specifics in Trump's that I really liked. Um, So I I can't sit here as a Republican and go, well, Clinton's is down the line, you know, very in line with our way of thinking. No, that's not true. But do I certainly think it's better than Trump's? Yes, absolutely. Fair enough. All right. Well, this round to Clinton. So uh, we got to move on. Uh, we're going to do WTF and round of applause, both of them very quickly. So who's your WTF this week? I'm going to say WTF to science. I read the lead article in The Economist this week was about the um, stopping aging, right? And how we how more and more they are they are addressing aging itself so not so much finding ways to stop the diseases but actually finding ways to prevent aging and i am going to say wtf to them because they're not moving fast enough i am jazzed that people who live 200 years from now have the chance of living for 200 years but that doesn't do me any good so let's pick up the pace, science. <laughs> what the? F- <laughs> well put. <laughs> can I just got? throw out? Can I? Well, can I just? Can I throw out a secondary WTF to that and to, to the entire American Dental Association that apparently lied to me about flossing for like thirty years? I never <laughs> flossed. Take I that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't fooled by this, right? <laughs> My WTF goes to, uh, to you know to all of this all of this crap about Hillary's Hillary's health. This is a right wing conspiracy that has somehow found its way in enough into 
the mainstream that Hillary is having seizures, that she never recovered from the, the concussion that she had in 2012. Trump has been out there not shutting up about it. It's all over the place. And now you've got, you know, Mr. Tinfoil Hat helping run the campaign. It's not going to go away. And now tonight, Dr. Drew decided to weigh in and say that he's really concerned and the American people need to worry about it. Shut up! Even Newt Gingrich thinks this is crap. He was on Fox News talking about how he thinks it's crap. It's crap. Let it go. We're sorry that we don't have some sort of... Russian uh, Mikhail Gorbachev-esque doctor coming out and saying, Mr. Trump, be best, most fit president ever, Drago. You know, like Trump came out with for Clinton, but for heaven's sakes, just stop. Look, I'm sorry. We've nominated two old-ass white people. Thank you. This this is the way it is. Uh, So... But yeah. Trump's doctor legitimately did come out and say that he was the most fit person ever to run for president. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and call that, BS because that's a that's a real statement. W W and Obama seem pretty fit to me. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, Obama specifically. You know, is the the dude plays full court basketball at least a couple times a week. Yeah, he's in pretty good shape. Yeah. Uh, so round of applause. Uh, mine goes to Brianna Keeler, who yesterday achieved the two greatest moments in journalism. First of all, with a Trump, uh, a, a, a Trump sycophant was was on there. His name is Michael something or other. He's this sort of he was he was a very New York sort of like he was a right. He was a character right out of the Sopranos, and she's pointing out that you know she says something along the lines of you know you guys are down in the polls, and he goes says who, and she goes polls, <laughs> and he goes what polls, and she goes all of them. and he keeps going on with says who who says that It, it, it was it was ridiculous but again her response was fabulous this was after she had an anti trump person from the huffington post who referred to trump as a turd tornado her response to the turd tornado comment was okay i gotta ask what's a turd tornado and he goes well it's kind of like a sharknado but with poop that is fantastic. Round of applause. I, I about fell over. I mean, I, yeah, it was, I, and, and both of these happened to her in less than eight hours while she's subbing for Wolf Blitzer. I think Wolf's head would have exploded had he actually seen those. Uh, but anyway, it was fabulous. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Nice. Uh, my round of applause goes to Musi Mamane. Uh, he is running against, uh, well, he is building an opposition uh, against Jacob Zuma, who is the current uh, president of South Africa. Uh, South Africa, obviously, under Nelson Mandela, uh, took giant leaps forward uh, and quickly became sort of this beacon of hope uh, for all of Africa and, and the, the DNC, which was the party of uh, Mandela, has overseen a couple of decades of decline since then and Jacob Zuma has sort of become the poster boy for that decline and Mamusi Mamane has managed to resurrect the opposition and is making real steps uh, forward against him and hopefully will be able to bring South Africa back to uh, sort of this this city on a hill that it had been so a round of applause to him for overcoming all odds because I mean this is you know this is like getting black people to stop voting Republican. 
you know, because for, for, you know, because forever this was the party that freed them, you know, uh, and it's the same with the DNC, you know, people are diehard DNC voters because this was the party that freed them from the apartheid. Uh, so it's very impressive what he's been able to do. Yes, absolutely. A round of applause. Um, uh, did, did, did the DNC freed, huh? Something about the DNC freed them from apartheid. Freed freed the black black people in South Africa from apartheid. That was that was Nelson Mandela's party. That was called the DNC. Yeah. Oh, okay. You were talking about Republicans there for a minute, and you said DNC. I'm like, I didn't realize we had apartheid here, or did they have Democrats right. in South Africa? What? No, no, no. I now was I'm using, very confused. I was using the analogy that you know the Republican Party for a long time was the party of the African American community because. That was the party that freed them from slavery. So right. it yeah, took okay. a lot to pull them away from the Republican Party. And in the same breath, it, you know, the DNC is the party that freed black people from the apartheid. So in order for, you know, despite all of the corruption that's now rampant within that party, uh, it's it's been tough to get people to be open to voting for anyone else. Yeah, definitely. Well, yes, heavens, yes, round of definite round of applause. That's much more uplifting than my turd tornado, but not as um, fun. But not as fun. No, very true. Well, and I, I don't know that it really took all that much to get African Americans to start voting for. It really just took Goldwater and George Wallace, and poof, done. Yeah, voila. So, anyhow, uh, all right. Well, we got to move on to uh, foreign policy. Uh, Trump gave a foreign policy speech. Clinton actually didn't give a new foreign policy speech. She gave one back in June that was um, widely praised. I think we actually discussed part of it uh, here on the show, but we'll uh, kind of hit the high points again. So we'll we'll, we'll start with Hillary this time. Uh, I mean, I you know again, this is a speech from June second. I I, I I I loved this speech when she gave it. I thought it was great. It's it is for the most part. I, I will say that it is it is largely a continuation of what we've been doing for the last eight years. So I think if you like what Obama has been doing, you know, you're going to like what's, what's in here. And I, I do for the most part, like what, what Obama's done. I mean, there've been some missteps, but uh, I, I don't know that there is an administration out there that you can point to that got everything right on foreign policy. Um, but I think that Obama has done different things than what we had been doing for, you know, uh, a number of decades before. And I, I think a lot of them were good moves. Uh, this is a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of focus on diplomacy, uh, putting subtle pressures on on China, North Korea, Russia, strength through alliances, strengthening NATO, things of that nature, uh, and continuing to work the Middle East problem the way that we've been working it. Um, you know, and uh, I would point out that there were there was recently a, a very significant victory against ISIS in Syria to the point that you had people, uh, you know, running around in the streets shaving their beards uh, because ISIS had been expelled. Um, so I, I mean, I, I do think that a lot of what we've been doing, at least, at least within the Middle East in Syria and Iraq against ISIS is working. It's going slowly, but it is working. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, um, uh, what, what, what did you think of it? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm with you in that in general, I like the direction that Obama has gone. Um, you know, Trump in his speech is going to talk a lot about, we have to move away from nation building and regime change. Well, that's. I feel like that's exactly the direction that Obama was taking us in. Um, so yeah, I, that's, I, that, I don't that feel like line this out of there that I didn't agree with represents some sort weird. of change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then yeah. the other thing is that, um, well, I guess I, I'm getting ready to go on about Trump. So to, I guess it's to focus on Clinton. Yes. I, I generally agree 
with president with the presidential nominee uh, Clinton about the way that she views the world and the way that she thinks that we need to do things. Um, I like the Iran deal. Um, I, I like her idea of trying to work with Russia to conclude the new start treaty. Um, I like the idea of the way that we need to be looking at countries, uh, you know, not just as uh, enemies or as friends, but as countries that share some common interest with us amid many disagreements, you know, um, and I like the way she talks about how we want to confront terrorists, how we want to deal with these things um, through pursuing diplomacy and, and working to close our Iraq sectarian divide um, and the need to, to win the battle in cyberspace. Uh, but most importantly, that we have to stay true to our values when we're doing these things. That was a major issue that I had with George W. Bush. Uh, you know, the, the fact that our safety was not worth selling our soul. Uh, and that and that's the thing that worries me about Trump. You know, I, I, I don't see him as stressing this need to, to live up to our American values. Uh, I think he says safety no matter what. Well, I, I don't know if I can get behind that. I, I don't. We have to stay true to our values. Right. And it, and I'll, I'll get into more, more detail on this in a minute when we get into Trump, but I, you know, just overall, these are just, these are two, the, the two worldviews between these two just, just couldn't be more different in the, in the way that the Clintons is, it's, it's like you said, it is a largely, I don't think it's naive. And I don't think that she ever at any point downplays any of the, the potential problem spots, but she has that we have, but and they are out there. I mean, I'm, I would never say that the world is a, a particularly is is a tremendously is all you know. It's 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 not all roses and clover, and and you know, there's there's a lot out there to be concerned about. But there is more out there, and more the way of this way of looking at the world through the, the lens of the Cold War, where again, in order for us to win, everyone else has to lose. I think we have had to largely shed that line of thinking and I think that we've started to do that and I and I like that approach and I think it, it it's one of those things that you know that old saying of not changing horses midstream I think that we are on course for changing the way that the world can operate but we have to stick with it and uh, I think that Clinton largely wants to do that and that's what I that's what I what I like about it you know um, because I think that this is the right way to go. And I do think it is working, but it's also the dynamics are shifting and that can be a scary thing. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. This is not the time to, to change the way we do this. Uh, I, I, I feel like we block out the what America's standing in the world was when Obama became president. You know, they talk about Obama going on this apology tour. Well, I, I don't know if I like the term apology to her, but we we were not held in high esteem throughout the world. That's just the way it is. And I think that we're viewed much more positively now than we were eight years ago. And I think that says a lot about the way that President Obama has, has handled himself and our relationships with other countries. Um, you know, if we if we can segue into into Trump a little bit. Uh, you know, he talks about yeah. how Obama and Clinton should never have attempted to build a democracy in Libya, to push for immediate regime change in Syria, or to support the overthrow of Mubarak in Egypt. 
and then in the same breath, he talks about how uh, our new approach would be um, to speak out uh, against the oppression of women, gays, and people of different faith. Well, one, let's stress the fact that all of this, a lot of the regime change that happened during Obama's presidency wasn't because of America. This wasn't something that we went in and tried to force. This was part of the Arab Spring. This was citizens of Arabic countries rising up against their oppressors. And the Obama administration simply allowed that to happen. We didn't step up and try to keep Mubarak in power just because he had been an ally with us. We didn't step up and try to keep uh, Gaddafi in power just because he has a stabilizing effect. We allowed citizens to make their own choices. That's not that's not nation building and regime change. That's not interfering. Uh, and also, you you can't talk about you know these people like Gaddafi and like Mubarak as if they were somehow good, and then say that your administration will speak out against the oppression of women, gays, and people of different faith. You know these were the these were people who were who were not in line with that kind of thinking. These were dictators. These were oppressors. Um, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, no. Well, and I'm and I'm and I'm with you. And and you know, a lot of it. And that's 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 what was was what was confusing about what Obama, what Trump's speech was on on, on its face was that it was was a an overall condemnation of the last eight years. But at the same time, he was talking about pursuing some of the same things that Obama's been doing. And then at the same time, uh, you know, from from a standpoint of um, how how he fights ISIS, like he doesn't want to get into nation building and regime change. Okay, fine. We haven't actually been in that business for a while. You missed that boat. It's all right. You were on the apprentice. We understand. But the fact of the matter is, is that what he's talking about doing, pursuing and utter quote utterly destroying ISIS. uh, Well, that's. If you go in there balls first, the way that he's talking about going in and the way that, frankly, a lot of Republicans talk about going in, that's going to require nation building because you're going to really do some damage if you send in major troop operations. Yeah, that is nation building. Like he's talking about. Yeah. That is nation building. That <clears throat> is regime change. Mm-hmm. This is, the, you know, the, Obama's approach has been slow and steady wins the race. And he's also been allowing and trying to encourage those countries to handle this largely themselves. He's been incur- we've been encouraging the Iraqi army to handle the ISIS problem themselves. We've been encouraging the Syrians to handle the ISIS problem themselves, and we've been running support. And that's that's again, this is not this is not regime change. It's not the same thing. Stop looking at this as though you know there's this there's this morbid desire to relive the Cold War and to replace the Russians with Islamic terrorism. And to treat it the same way, he talks about pursuing ideological warfare um, and, uh, you know, putting pressure on uh, on countries that support terrorism and all this other stuff. I mean, I'm all for putting pressure on countries that support terrorism, but this is not the same thing as fighting communism. You can't look at it that way. And, uh, you know, I, I just most of the speech sort of reminded me of, of, of that mindset. All of that said, 
Let me just play devil's advocate for a second because he led this off with a very interesting set of statements. But this is really more of a list of just how much he's willing to lay at the feet at Obama's feet and say it's Obama's fault. These are direct quotes from the, from, from the speech. Let's look back at the Middle East at the very beginning of 2009 before the Obama-Clinton administration took over. Again, talking about her like she was the vice president. She wasn't. Give me a break. Libya was stable. Syria was under control. Egypt was ruled by a secular president and an ally of the United States. Iraq was experiencing a reduction in violence. The group that would become ISIS was close to being extinguished. Iran was being choked off by economic sanctions. Fast forward to today. Arguing those points? I mean, he's not wrong. But I don't think you can blame Obama for most of that. Right? And he acts as though everything that the fact that there were problems in Iraq and problems in destabilization in the Middle East in general is all Obama's fault is just wrong. We started a lot of this by going in and fighting the Iraq war. Plain and simple. And Obama yeah. was trying to clean up the mess. Yeah. I, I think that's accurate. I, I mean, the... And when you talk about Libya and Egypt and these places, again, this wasn't some policy that, that Obama put forth that then led to issues coming up in Egypt and Libya. These were countries, the nations, citizens stepping up and trying to rid themselves of a dictator. And it went horribly. It went awfully. Uh, but there wasn't anything that we could do short of nation building and regime change, you know? So uh, it, it's monumentally unfair to try to put that at uh, Obama's feet uh, as if, I mean, what did you expect him to do? Did you want him to, to go all in in Libya, go all in in uh, Syria? I, no, I, I don't think any of us would, would push that. And I don't think Trump really would either if he actually believes all the stuff he's saying about nation change um, nation building and regime change. Now, there were at least a couple of things that, that Trump said that I did find reasonable. One was this whole, uh, recklessly announcing their every move before it happens. That is fair. Uh, when it comes to Afghanistan and Iraq, Obama never should have been putting out their dates in which he would have us out of there by. Absolutely. That was not a good policy. Yeah, no, um, I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, and then I also now this is in large part, it sounds a lot like him just trying to step back the Muslim ban, uh, which was wretched. Uh, but he talks about asking the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security to identify a list of regions where adequate screening cannot take place. And we, we already touched on this a little bit. And where he said, we're going to stop processing visas from those areas until we feel like we can put in reasonable screening methods. That seems reasonable to me. Um, which is which is different from the way the media is portraying that. The me, I'll, I don't generally like to get involved in this media hates me, yada, yada, yada crap. But the media portrayed that as though, because the media has been right about 95% of the stuff that Trump has said, because they don't actually have to say anything. They just turn on the camera and let him, let him go. But... The, occasionally there are things that they're right about and that he's right, they're getting wrong. And I, I do think that this one policy, because he does identify, it's like he said, he's trying to identify specific regions where there's problems. Yeah. 
And I, I think that's reasonable. Now, does this, is it fair that the media misunderstands it because it does seem like a clear, just walking back the Muslim ban thing? Yeah, that's fair. But what he's walked it back to is a reasonable policy. Um, and another thing I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you about the war of ideologies, because I think that that is important. Um, I think that that is something that we as Americans need to be doing is stressing and preaching and pushing the good of Western civilization and the values of Western civilization, uh, and highlighting how this is better than radical Islam. And I agree with the idea that we need to learn and understand more about radical Islam, which he talks about establishing a commission to, to try to do this, to identify and explain the, the core convictions and beliefs of radical Islam to the American public and to the world, and to try to figure out how we can identify uh, the warning signs of radicalization and how we can expose networks in our society that support radicalization. I, I think, I feel like that's reasonable. Um, now, the fact that it comes from him, does that make me nervous? Yes, uh, because he has said a lot of things about Muslims that were horribly unreasonable and awful. But that paragraph taking it on its own is legitimate and I think important. Well, it is legitimate, and I and I don't disagree with with it. Let, let's be clear. I don't disagree with the idea of one as long as you're drawing that line, because and, and uh, the problem is is that a lot of people on the right don't they talk about it as though they're drawing the line between radical Islam and the and the bulk of the Islamic world. Uh, I I don't think a lot of these people are drawing that line, and I I don't think Trump understands. Trump may very well he, he and of himself want to do that. But this is one of the things that hiring the Breitbart guy highlights is that who is he going to surround himself to put these policies with, to put these policies in place. And by hiring somebody like Bannon to be a major factor in his campaign shows me that he's willing to put those people in to be, allow those people to be major factors in the administration as well. And I trust Hillary Clinton and the people that she would put in charge to be more active in drawing the line between Islamic terrorism and again, the bulk of the Islamic world than I do the people that he's likely to put in charge and specifically and, and vicariously him for that, you know, because it's his responsibility. And I, I, I don't have a problem with, with going out and, and trying to highlight, look, this is why we're better. It's better to be here than it is to be, you know, a part of ISIS. That's fine. But as long as it doesn't turn into this ideological war against Islam itself or coming out and saying that we are a Christian nation and this is about Christianity versus Islam, it's not. And we're not. And we welcome Muslims here. But we do have to keep an eye on on some of the crazies, you know, because there are Muslims like every family have their crazies. You know, Republicans have the Tea Party. Muslims have ISIS. Wow. You just compared the Tea Party to ISIS. Fascinating. Uh, the Democrats have Bernie Sanders fans and the Muslims have ISIS. Yes. Fact. There we go. Fact. Also, that's right. You hate Bernie Sanders fans. You hate them more than I do. I forgot about that. 
I'm I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm I'm saying I'm saying everybody again. Every every family has their crazies. That's all I'm saying. You know, I I have I have never I have never met. Uh, a Mormon that I, I did not think was a lovely human being. And, and, and they're a lot of fun. There are a lot of crazy Mormons out there that still believe in poly, uh, uh, polygamous marriage and, and do crazy Mormon things. I do not begrudge the, the bulk of the LDS church, those crazies. Um, and I try not to begrudge the Republicans, the tea party, but <laughs> wait, so are you anti-polygamy? What? Am I anti-polygamy? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I'm Tim, I, I, I would just like to get a, to have a nice date once. I haven't really thought about getting one woman has been difficult enough. Getting two, I don't really even think about it. Well, see, you're now you're just like polygamy just because you're a hater on, you know. <laughs> because I can't get a date. Because <laughs> you can't, yeah, because you can't get the multiple wives. <laughs> Why are you not anti-polygamy? Are we actually having this conversation? I, I, I don't feel like I'm coming off well in this at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm anti-polygamy, but because of my obvious, obviously because of my my Christian values and my Christian viewpoint on the world, I I don't understand um, you tree hugging hippie liberal progressives who are anti-polygamy. <laughs> I don't. Okay. I don't get that one. I don't get where how you can how you can draw that line. I I don't I don't see that. I, and and I and I don't think I am. I don't think that came out right. I, I think that that's where I, none of what I've just said is right. I right. sound so terribly. You are, you are I sound like a horrible person right now, as though I'm blaming all of these that, that I really dislike all of these groups, and I don't, um, or that I really think that there's a connection between ISIS and the Tea Party. I don't. That's that's silly. That's that that's not that's not what I meant. My point is is that there's one in every family. Fair enough. So I, I, I don't know. I, you have made me look terrible in the last five minutes. I, maybe I'll just cut this part out of the show. <laughs> uh, I sound bad. <laughs> the power of editing. We cut right to something cool. Um, yeah. So have you anything else to, to add on the foreign policy measure? No, except that I guess, you know, I in the end said that I preferred Clinton's vision of the world from an economic standpoint. Uh, and I, again, when comparing these two, speeches while there are aspects of to Trump's that I would kind of sort of agree with. I, I agree with Clinton's viewpoint of the world on when it comes to foreign policy as well. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised when I say that I agree. So yeah. All right. Well, have you anything else this evening? No, take us out with something cool. Uh, you know, over the last several days, as I said earlier, there's been a lot of just devastation around Louisiana. And, uh, if you're looking for anything cool out there, there've just been a number of really uh, remarkable stories of, uh, Louisiana national guardsmen, uh, helping out in communities when their own homes were flooding, um, going out and doing what the national guard does, uh, which is, you know, uh, generally, you know, they, they, they were, they did get involved, I think in the Iraq war, but, uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the function of the guard is to uh, help out in crisis situations like this. They've been doing a phenomenal job and uh, just a lot of really great uh, work that they're doing, uh, making sure that people have food and are, are being taken care of. Uh, our father was a guardsman, uh, and I, I, I see things like that. I'm always proud of of, of that legacy and and very uh, very proud of our of our national guard. Uh, and the work that they do. And uh, like I said, there's a lot out there and I encourage you to look that up. It is absolutely extraordinarily cool. So 
Yeah. Amen. There we go. All right. Well, that's all we got for tonight. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, be sure to check us out on Twitter. I'm at Libcon Matt. Tim is at Libcon Tim. Uh, we will be back to talk to you next week. But in the meantime, have an outstanding week. Take care. Thank you.